0: Hi, I'm Zan, and this is Here at U Calgary, a podcast series where we'll talk to various people around the University of Calgary campus and learn about who they are. We'll discuss what research they're working on, why they chose University of Calgary, and general stories about lives on campus. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Here at U Calgary. I'm your host, Zan Risby, and our guest today is Cooper Davies, a PhD student in the Department of Computer Science, working with Dr. Jörg Denzinger. Welcome to the show, Cooper.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's
0: great to have you. And also special thing that I wanted to mention is Cooper was also my student when I was a TA for Computer Science 233 uh, during my master's degree.
1: Yeah, that was a long time uh, time ago. I actually, um, I I vividly remember in that class asking you for help with a (laughs) specific uh, problem. Uh, We ended up building like a roguelike, uh, a roguelike two-dimensional shooter. Right. And, uh, yeah, there, there was something I'd found about like uh, declaring an object as final, uh, and I didn't know what mm-hmm. that meant. And I remember asking you and and not understanding your answer. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, sorry about that.
1: Yeah, no, no. It's it, it was a lack of my like. It, it's my fault, not yours. <laughs>
0: All right, so why don't we move on with our conversation here because I know we can talk about this for a long time, but these (laughs) episodes are listed to 15
1: minutes. Sure, 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 sure.
0: Um, So computer science was not where you started at your university. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, no, I actually started in um, biological sciences. um, And I was actually trying to concentrate in cellular, molecular, and microbiology.
0: Okay, and how far did you get into that program?
1: I actually got uh, seven-eighths done. So I did uh, three full semesters. Or uh, sorry, three full years. And in the fourth year, I had done my second last semester uh, before switching over to computer science.
0: Okay. And then what made you want to do the switch? Uh,
1: So interestingly enough, um, Rai, who's a previous guest of yours, um, I worked with her in iGEM when I was still in in genetics is what I'll kind of call it as. Um, And doing work in iGEM, I wasn't like, I I don't think I could have sat down and for the rest of my life done work like that. Like, I didn't – I enjoyed it, but I didn't – I enjoyed it, but I also didn't, if you know kind of what I mean, like, by that. Where there's some aspects where it's very interesting, but the day-to-day job is incredibly um, unappealing to me. So, so on,
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, like, so on a, like on a short time, it's pretty good, but you don't see yourself doing that long-term.
1: Yeah, like, I, I probably – I'm glad iGEM is only, like, a four – five-month thing because I, I couldn't, I could not do that for years. Okay. Um, but anyway, so we had on the team uh, three computer scientists who were uh, part of the team to uh, build a mock demo in like 3D software. Okay. Um, so they built this kind of like bioreactor uh, model that, that skimmed oil, um, like separated oil from water by using a skimming property. Uh, And I remember being so um, interested that I decided to take my first, it was 217, I believe, which is the computer science for non-computer science majors. Right. Um, I took that in my second last semester of genetics. And I just, I fell in love, Uh, immediately tried to transfer, uh, and then got in, started taking every course that I could, graduated three years later, so...
0: Okay. So, but you didn't finish your cellular, molecular. No, macular I, I
1: switched out immediately. Yeah.
0: Okay. Like, was there a reason like you didn't think it would be worthwhile to just finish that degree as compared mm. to then start a new one?
1: Yeah. So the, the way I see it is the, the sunk cost fallacy is how I kind of view why I, I switched. And some people may think that I'm stupid for not like having an extra degree in my pocket would be beneficial. But the sunk cost fallacy applies for gambling where... Um, I've, I've already sunk X amount of money or resource or whatever into this task, might as well keep going. Right. I I need to recoup that. I need to get back something from that, but then you just end up further in the hole. Right. And for me, that cost was another four months of my life for, and the reward in this case is a degree. Right. And any job that I kind of wanted, I don't think having that second degree would really put me so much more ahead that it was worth four months of my life okay Um, and so i decided to kind of cut my losses uh and immediately switch uh and so far it's been a great decision so
0: (laughs) i'm glad you're enjoying it
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it, it most people will when i first tell them they'll say like oh that's like They'll criticize me and say, that's, that's kind of, that's rather dumb or stupid. Right. But I, like the way I see it, you wouldn't say that to somebody who's gambled away $30,000. Right.
0: Right. And even just like personal, personally, uh, you know, whether you're happy for those four months or not, that has a cost of its own, which I don't know if you can put it into value or not.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, personal uh, fulfillment. Definitely. Absolutely.
0: And then what inspired you to pursue graduate school?
1: Ah, so I actually worked in, uh, an undergraduate research lab, uh, led by Frank Moyer. He is right now. He's an associate Dean actually of entrepreneurship. I believe, uh, at the time he was the head or the, the temporary head of the computer science department.
0: Right. Uh,
1: and I got the job because I asked a friend of mine, I was looking for a job and he, he worked in the lab and the lab works almost solely on referrals. So I got in based entirely on the referral, but then Frank was kind of the first ever uh, academic who actually saw, I want to say merit in, in the work that I did so much so that within like my first year of working there, he actually made me uh, the lead of a couple projects. Uh, and so I had people like not working under me. I want, I, they worked beside me, but I kind of delegated certain tasks. Sure. And he actually asked me one day, he's like, so do you, would you do masters or would you do a master's or grad school with me? And I, I honestly, until that point, had never even considered it. I, I loved the work I was doing in Frank's lab, and I, like, I wanted to keep doing research. It was fun finding problems that, that you know, industry was having that they couldn't solve, uh, and then solving them on my own or with a team in, in four or five months worth of work. The, the common joke in the lab that we have is that all of us owe our careers to Frank. Um, because Frank has opened so many doors for all of us that it's, it's, it's unfathomable to us, like where we would be versus where we are now, had we not joined the lab.
0: I think there's so many of us in the department who actually follow this line. Yeah, I definitely think,
1: I definitely think it just takes having somebody who like, so for example, like everybody has imposter syndrome, right. Where, where, or most people have imposter syndrome I've found at least, and I could be wrong on this, but you know, one day. You know, I am the God of programming. And the next day, like I am an absolute idiot. I don't know anything. So having, in in my case, at least having somebody who I thought knew what they were doing, like in in Frank's case, like he's a professor, uh, head of the department, like this guy knows what he's doing and having him recognize your work. I'm like, man, I must be doing like, I must know at least something.
0: (laughs) That's a great feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then could you give us an overview of the research that you were doing? With Frank?
1: Yeah. So um, Frank's lab does um, uh, immersive analytics. Um, so it's kind of an overview of like machine learning and uh, human computer interaction. So okay. I focused very heavily on the machine learning aspect. Um, and actually I got involved uh, with York Densinger because he, he teaches uh, machine learning here at the University of Calgary. Uh, and York Densinger became my co-supervisor. Okay. What I ended up focusing on was automatic machine learning or, or auto ML, as it's called. And the idea was that if you have a system that uh, an arbitrary user is gonna, uh, gonna apply to their work, having to teach them machine learning is is a costly and very time consuming process. Or they could hire a machine learning expert, which is a costly as in money wise resource. So AutoML tries to make machine learning significantly more accessible to the average person by abstracting away all of the necessary knowledge of like different algorithms and optimization processes uh, and it actually uses machine learning to kind of identify what machine learning would work well on this project uh, so I spent uh, my master's thesis was on um, identifying key components or meta features as they're called which make the process of automatic machine learning faster
0: okay so that's like almost like meta machine learning
1: yeah Uh, yeah it's it's funny because i say it's machine learning how to machine learn so say you're given an arbitrary data set um, and you're like i want to do machine learning on this right Uh, so for the for the case of this let's say it's a picture or it's a it's a series of pictures and you want it classified right convolutional neural networks do really well at image classification right so they'll say they'll see a picture and they'll say oh there's a dog in this picture Okay, let's say that uh, opposite that, we have a different data set, um, which is stock market prices. Now, uh, linear regression usually would do better than convolutional neural networks for a kind of heuristic of guessing the price fluctuation or whatever, like the, the increase or decrease in the stock for that day, right? So in the images, we have a convolutional neural network, and for the stock, we have linear regression. Now, as a machine learning expert, somebody could look at that and say, "Oh, I know why. Like, there's images. Convolutional neural, neural network will work the best. So, yeah. how could you get a machine learning algorithm to look at that? So, the machine learning algorithm or the automatic machine learning algorithm would look at the data set, and it has no context of whether it knows it's a picture or not. But it could, you know, it's it's three uh, float values and RGB. So, oh, there's a thousand of these. Maybe it's a picture, right? So it." Performs machine learning in regards to trying to figure out the context of the data, to then decide which algorithm would work best. And then alongside that, there's different like hyperparameters, like for example, in a neural network, how many nodes, how many layers, trying to figure out the the hyperparameter configuration which would speed up or produce the highest accuracy. Okay, so just
0: to reiterate here, um, make sure that I understand actually correctly. Yep. So you're abstracting away from machine learning. So that uh, the computer can itself make a decision, given some data, what kind of machine learning algorithm would be best for it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly it. And like, so given an infinite amount of time, you could just brute force it. Right. So um, to to do it efficiently, there's, there's what's considered two constraints. You have to use uh, as little time as possible and you have to use as little processing power as possible. Right. And so it's, it's a multi-objective optimization problem there.
0: Okay. And perhaps a question I should have asked a bit earlier. For those of us who don't necessarily know what machine learning is, yeah, could you give us a brief overview of what that is?
1: Oh, that, oh man. <laughs> Some, maybe me. a
0: basic example.
1: No, I was uh, going to say hit me with a hard question because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of debate even within the community about what machine learning and artificial intelligence means. Uh, and in 2017, for example, uh, Elsevier, they put out a report where it's like even amongst professionals, they can't agree on what machine learning is. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to default back to what York calls machine learning. Cause he'll probably be upset at me if I don't use it, <laughs> um, which is it's, it's the process of a system to reorganize or reconfigure itself to optimize or get better at a specific task. And that, that would be the definition of machine learning. Um, okay. So in the case of algorithms, They'll have some information or some knowledge that they know, and they will alter or change their understanding of that knowledge um, in order to more efficiently perform a task.
0: Okay. Thank you for that explanation. No worries. And uh, I know we're getting near the end of our episode here. You are a PhD student, and you're, and you're talking about your master's research currently. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I defended uh, December 11th, uh, and then 20 days later, I started as a PhD student.
0: Okay. Congratulations. To that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, do you have any research plans for a PhD so far? Or are you still exploring? Are you going Yeah. To so um, research?
1: with my master's, it was kind of laying the groundwork of what specific things about a data set are used to provide additional context. Like what is it about a data set that makes the algorithm certain that it's a picture or whatnot, right? Sure. Uh, so a lot of uh, the focus of my PhD is now, okay, let's build a system that uses these, uh, these meta features to accurately predict something. Um, and what Yorg uh, is really focused on is incorporating humans. So we want to build a system that, um, I give it data. And then it asks me a question, Hey, I found this pattern. Does this pattern hold in your domain? So I'm a painter and I give it a data set about paint. And it asks me. Um, so I've noticed that uh, marigold yellow and firetruck red are used a lot in paintings involving 13th century Roman wars. Uh, is is that a good is that a good guess? Do you think that's a, an interesting take? And the let's say let's say they're an art historian says, you know what, I never thought about that, but yes, that actually is an interesting take. So you know what, run with that. So in this way, the machine learning algorithm doesn't know the context, but it asks prodding questions of the domain expert to help them incorporate their knowledge. and uh, Maybe maybe discover things that they didn't actually see in the first place.
0: Essentially like a guided exploration.
1: Yeah, they're, they're called uh, expert systems or recommendation systems. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right. So yeah, my, uh, my PhD is involved in uh, creating one of those.
0: Okay, neat. Well, thank you for sharing that. I guess we are coming towards the end of the episode here. Uh, did you have a final message that you wanted to share with our listeners?
1: If you as a listener are, are considering grad school, at least attempt it. Don't, uh, don't think that you can't get in or don't immediately assume that you won't get in or that you're not smart enough or whatever. Genuinely at least apply. It's one of the better decisions I've made, uh, and I didn't think I would get in. And most people I talk to also don't think they'll get in or when they do usually end up getting in. So uh, don't write yourself off. If you're interested, genuinely attempt it.
0: All right. Thank you very much.
1: No worries. Thank it was, uh, for thanks sure for having you. me. Yeah, yeah this, is, uh, me. this has been fun.
0: Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been Here at Calgary. I'm Ihozan Risby. Our guest today was Cooper Davies. Thank you for listening.